Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. For those of you who don't know as a church that we're fasting, I just want to, you know, some of this message is going to be geared towards that, but the title of the message is going to be, Where Has Our Desire Gone? Because I think of that, uh, that principle of what does what fasting encompass? What does it do? What does it change? What the heck is the point of it? Because to the natural world, it makes no sense, right? Not eating. That makes no sense, right? Why would, why would we not eat? Or why would we withhold the luxuries that God has so willfully given us? Right? We make all of these justifications or all of these decisions. Uh, man, I was talking to my wife. Let me grab this. Sorry. Uh, about my message last week, and we, uh, we brought everybody up here, and we anointed with oil, and anointing with oil is 100% biblical as far as setting apart, as far as anointing, setting forth. The example that I used did not support that, okay? So I researched it a little bit more, not saying, you know, in my natural mind without doing any research to saying what those words meant specifically, or when it talked about anointing your head, because I'm, I feel obligated. If I find something that I teach wrong or I need to realign it, hey, I got to humble myself and say, hey, guys, we're growing together. I'm going to do the best I can to always present it biblically correct. But as I looked at that, when it says anoint your head, what it was talking about in the Old Testament and, and in the Bible days was more of putting on of a perfume. It, they, they would actually put, anoint their head with oil, and it was something they did after a bath, something they always did when they attended a meal. So what this represented in, the, in, the, in that context, just to give you a good biblical foundation, right? In that context, it said, anoint your head with oil and then, and then go to the table or whatever, right? But you anoint your head so because you do that every single time you eat and then wash your face. And then when people see the anointing oil on your head, they will assume that you are eating and not fasting. That's what it's saying, you know, so it's still the, the same representation of what it is to not, you know, it was to make people think that you were eating. So, I mean, I don't know, what, what, what would that look like? I'm like, man, I'm so full today. You know, walk, I'm not, I'm fasting. But, I mean, I guess that would be the, the example in modern day. But it's important to really understand not necessarily just what the Word of God says, but what did it mean in that time and how does that apply to me? Now, as far as anointing you guys, man, I think there was power in that. I know that it does set you guys apart, and as far as anointing with oil and setting you apart as God and asking the Holy Spirit to just be a part of our fast, there's nothing unbiblical about that. But the scripture that I used to help enforce that was absolutely incorrect. There you go. All right, so let's move on with the message now that I got that over with, because I was saying, God, how the heck is that going to go over? So I committed to grow with you guys and to learn with you guys, right? We're all in this together. You know, so we need to think back. Let's think back of the first time that we came to the knowledge of who Christ was and the desire for being in his presence. That was our utmost focus. Think about it, man. We were excited about the things of God. We were overwhelmed with the goodness of who God was. We thought about, we talked about, uh, our lives were completely transformed by his overwhelming depth of love for us. We thought, how could someone love us so much? And then we, we chose, we said, I willingly give my life for Christ. It was out of this, this, this relationship that God loved us in our sinful state and he, and he drew himself to me, a sinner, 
He gave his life to me. You know, I think about, you know, that, that time there was a desire for God. I didn't have to like work myself up to be excited about it. I was just excited and nobody could shut me down. You know, it was just like, man, I'm, what's wrong with you, man? God's just doing stuff in my life. I'm super excited about it, what he's doing. So what do we normally see in our life though? As time progresses, our desire and our excitement seems to dwindle and the new wears off. Happens all the time. The new, you know, kids get a trampoline. Now, some of them jump on it nonstop, but how many of you know, if a kid get a, gets a trampoline, man, I'm gonna jump on that thing every day, dad, and I love it so much, and here they go for it. Last about a month. They're inside playing. Go on the trampoline. Nah, I don't wanna jump on that trampoline anymore. The new wore off. Why does, why does that happen with God? Our desire for God just begins to change. But we have to understand, you know, who God is, right? We may even get to the place where we question the transformation in the relationship maybe we found in Christ because if we don't feel it, therefore maybe we are not it. But what does Scripture say? It's not based on how we feel. If, if our Christianity was based on emotion, I'd go to hell and heaven multiple times throughout a day. If it was on emotions, man, you know, I stump my toe, I get mad, I freak out, I, what's wrong? If that was what was the measuring stick for what salvation was really about. It was never, it's never about emotion. You know, that's why it's important, you know, in a, in, even like in a moment like today where, man, the Spirit of God is moving and God is doing things and your emotional senses are heightened that we don't respond out of emotion, but we respond out of choice. Because choice is going to be the only thing that holds us for the long haul. It's a commitment to follow Christ. It's an intentionalness to follow Christ. So what does that mean? Man, in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not just when, man, the right songs are played or the Holy Spirit's moving, yes, Lord. You know, you see it all the time, man. I've seen it at youth camps. Now, I've seen sometimes at youth camps where it sticks. A kid will go to youth and, man, they will be transformed by the power of God and they choose that day to follow God. And all the rest of the path has changed. But you also see the hype and the excitement and, you know, the momentum of, of the moment. And we, and we miss the majesty of who God is. We get distracted by the lights and the glamour and the appearance of it, and we never see God for who he really is. 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Man, I was talking to Blackie this morning. We were talking about, he looks at me, hey, brother, how's your week going? I know he's talking about my fasting. Well, I'm surviving, right? You know, and he was talking about going to restaurants and certain things you could eat and certain things that you couldn't. But that, that word self-discipline, I think even in that conversation, God showed me something. He said, Noe, if you can say no to luxurious foods and the things that you love, there's no reason you can't say no to the sins of this world. Every single time. That's a practice of self-discipline because we're swayed by whatever comes our way. Man, if sin walks by, we grab it around the neck and we walk with it because of a lack of self-discipline. 
But if we're disciplined, what does it say? It says when, when sin approaches or when sin comes near, what does it say? Does it say get around it? Man, if I walk in a restaurant right now where they're cooking steak and T-bones and bacon, and I'm a carnivore. That's what I figured out on this fast, right? I love meat. I really do. Like, that's all I think about when I'm like, think about if I could eat anything. Okay, so if I walk in a, in a room and all these guys are eating, what do I need to do so that I do not fail? I need to run from my life. I even need to get away from the smell. I remember at work, they used to cook bacon, and I think they did that before breakfast because, man, they would just, they would fish. That, that smell of bacon will travel so far, and as soon as you smell bacon, you know what it is. You know, like a dog before you feed him his bowl, as soon as you pick up that bowl, my dog starts licking his lips. He knows dinner's coming, right? But what does it say? When sin is close like that, I have to literally run and get away from it. I can't sit there and entertain it and entice it. But if I, if I can practice fasting on a regular basis and I can be self-controlled, you know how many times I was at my mom's house and I had to say no to all the candy in her house? I'm like a little kid that looks at it and I'm like, oh, just got to walk away. You know, I just, man, I, I pick and it's like, man, that would be good. That would be good. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Nope. We got to be like that just with sin also and things that so easily encroach around us all of the time. We can't be naive to those things that are of the flesh. Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will or they shall be filled. So the question is, man, what are we hungry for this morning? A lot of what our desires are going to be focused at are those things that we're eating and that we're satisfying ourselves with. Man, if we're focused on the things of God, you know, up until this morning, you know, there was part of me like, God, what are you doing? Why have I not felt your presence as strong as I want? Why am I not hearing your voice as clear? And this morning, God said, I'm doing something you have no idea what I'm doing. And he says, you keep being obedient and let me be God. I mean, I was like, sir, yes, sir. No meat, no candy. I'm going to stay strong, Lord. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, it's the practical things, you know. Uh, this week I told Samuel, Samuel has been so faithful. And I can't break this fast because my son's doing it with me. And I can't say, son, your daddy's eating cookies if you're not. Right? And yesterday I asked him, I said, son, have you prayed today? He looks at me guilt-faced, Right? Well, no, Dad. I said, listen, if you're, not, if you're just fasting and you're not praying, all you really do is starving. You're not, you're not practicing the principle of what God wants. We're taking away, we're removing these distractions of life so that we can focus more intently on Christ, more on His Word, that we can focus you know, on those things that we need to remove from our lives, maybe. Maybe these priorities that are, should no longer be a priority in our life. It's that time to set aside time to say, God, man, here I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm broken. I have all of these distractions. God, what do I do? And then when we get to that place of humility and we just rip the fabrics of our, our chest open, God begins to remove those things from our calloused heart that we've allowed to rest there and to be there. But man, we have to seek his face. He has to, he has to be the utmost focus of our, of our attention. So the word desire, so the definition of desire, it's a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen, right? It's an intent focus. 
It's something that we want. It's something that I'm wishing for. Do we wish for the presence of God? Do we wish for the transforming presence of God just to invade our life at every moment? We have to be reminded that fasting does not change God. It changes us. Okay, you hear that? Just because we're fasting doesn't go, oh, God's going to be a better guy now. No. Fasting is, is developed and designed so that we change, so that we become more Christ-like, so that we become more transparent, so that we become more obedient to the word of God. Because what's the measuring stick? The measuring stick isn't for me just to be better than my wife or my wife to be better than me. The measuring stick is Christ. So we forever need to change from glory to glory to glory, moment to moment, day by day, second by second. That's how that process should happen. And if we do that every single day, and then we do it month by month and year by year, we will become people who are desperate for the things of God because we will not be chasing the things of the world because we are kingdom-focused. We are Christ-focused. We are Christ-centered in everything we are. Because I tell you, the things of the flesh, they want to be lazy. You ever heard icing the brain? Us men are awesome at it. Get there and just, what are you thinking about? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> really? Yeah, nothing. Icing the brain. There's no intentional thought process in that process. But I'm, I'm telling, causing ourselves to change and to focus on God. Man, I'll tell you one thing I've been doing. I turn my radio off when I'm driving by myself. I always have music blaring, or I have the TV going. I turn it off. I say, all right, God, what are you saying? And if I listen, perhaps I'll hear something that will radically change my life. So do we only depend on the presence or the help of God during times of trouble or hardship? God desires us to desire him above everything else. You know, I'm convinced that fasting will cause whatever ugly is inside of us to come out. It'll cause that to surface. If you're angry or you're cranky, guess what? It was already there. The fasting just was the catalyst to make it come out. Man, what's wrong with you? Leave me alone. You know, man, all this ugly coming out. Be real, be raw. You know, if you're like, that ain't me, whatever. There's ugly in you. That's why we all need Jesus. You know, fasting is the tool that God uses us to humble ourselves. We talked about that last week. You know, and to purge out the comfort of living and satisfying the flesh. Purging those things out, removing those things, being willful in, in everything that we do. Man, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I know this is crazy, man, and maybe God's speaking to me in this, but I have realized how little food I need to survive because I always eat with indulgence. That's something that God has showed me. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Like, am I slimming up? Yeah, probably. But every single time I'm, I'm eating in an indulgent kind of way. You know, the Bible talks about gluttony. It talks about all these things, eating, you know, to beyond being satisfied or just beyond the baseline of just for what you need to live. You know, eating in that way, it's going to shorten our life. It's going to kill our health. It's going to shorten our time on this earth. When it comes down to it, we got to realize that, you know, and then what happens? We eat like we want. We eat all these things and then we're medicated with all these medicines that the world is thrown at us. And that's having counteractions with all kinds of stuff. And God's really been speaking. He says, no, you big dummy. Why don't you just get in shape and take care of yourself and eat what I tell you to eat? 
and quit, not, quit eating all the stuff that you really don't need. Now, I believe God's still calling me to moderation. <laughs> it's not saying you cut them all out like I'm doing right now, right? But, that, but I learned to be self-controlled even in what I eat. That spoon never tells me what to do. That fork never tells me what to do. I dictate when it's done. One more bite. I'm killing myself, man. Come on. Right? Being self-controlled. Got to purge out those things of the flesh. You know, fasting causes our soul. This is the part within us that's being transformed into the image of Christ. It causes our soul to become desperate for God. So the act of fasting, uh, uh, you know, is, is an act of desperation and desire for the presence of God. So Psalm 63, 1 through 8. Let's turn to that if you've got your Bible or we'll have it pulled up. So notice every time it talks about the soul of man. So we got to understand that we have a spirit inside of us. As soon as we receive salvation, that spirit changes. We live in a flesh body that is always dying and is going to die. I don't know at what age it hits its peak and then starts its decline, But the body is built to be temporary. It's something that is just the shell that's housing the spirit and the soul. So when we look at this scripture, the spirit is regenerated. It's just like God. But the soul is in the process of being transformed into God's likeness. That's the part we got to get aligned, right? So as we look at this passage, look, every time it says, it says, my soul, my soul. Psalm 63, 1 through 8 says, starting... uh, Verse one, it says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body even longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld the power of your glory because your love is better than life. You hear that? Better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift you up with my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I will think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is a life that is being transformed by the power of God. If our souls begin to be desperate for God, So our soul is being conformed into the image of Christ. This is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So Noe, what are you saying? I'm saying that as we allow God to change us, our minds begin to change. We begin to think on things that are Christ-like, not things that are all driven carnally, right? You know, the things of this world. It means that, you know, our will, we will desire to do what is godly. Imagine that, desiring to do what is right. So this means that we are beginning to realign our life how God designed it from the very beginning. We're causing our souls to be recreated in Christ. And then our emotions, man, our emotions are all over the place sometimes, right? It causes our emotions to be in line with the word of God and to surrender to him. Psalms 42, one through two on the verses, it says, as dear... Pant for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for you. For the living God. 
And then we drop down to verse 5 and 6. It says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why, do, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So at this point, he's saying, soul, you better get right. You better change because you are not aligning to the word of God. My spirit is dictating what's right. The Holy Spirit within me is fighting for me. My flesh is dying, and then my soul is now in subjection to the spirit. And it's saying, you will change. Why are you so downcast? My soul is saying, soul, you better shape up. You better glorify God because I am. You know, there's this war inside of us. And a lot of that, when we begin to practice that, that act of self-control, it begins to change everything. And we get better results. Our soul can be so radically transformed that it desires God more than the things of this world. Man, that's the place I want to be where my soul is even desiring the things of God. John 4, 13 through 14, it says, Jesus answered. He said, everyone who drinks this water, he was just talking about natural water, will be thirsty again. In verse 14, it says, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is this talking about? This is talking about, a, he's, he's talking about spiritual things. He's not talking about natural water. You can never drink enough water where you'll never thirst again. There's not magic water somewhere, right? That I know of. You know where it's at? Let me know. Right? But it says, what, the, 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 what I'm going to put inside of you, you will never thirst for anything again. Fasting causes our desperation and dependence to be on God, and it causes an increase. Hunger in the physical can directly correlate with our hunger in the spiritual. You know, if we're not feeding ourselves the things of God, if we're not reading the word, if we're not worshiping, if we're not surrounding ourselves with Christians on a regular basis, we are starving spiritually. We, we, we just are. You know, you cannot be satisfied in the spirit by things that are in the flesh or in the carnal. You can't. You cannot, you cannot mix the two. It, it, it contradicts itself. It cannot. The thing, if you're going to increase the, the strength of your spirit, man, you got to feed the things that your spirit man thrives on. You can't say, well, God likes this. God's good with this. No, the world's good with that. There's things that God has given us that are awesome tools to accelerate that desire for God to be enlightened within our life. Do we truly hunger and thirst for the things of God? Don't raise your hand, but ask, ask yourself, do I truly desire, do I hunger and thirst for the things of God? Man, if not this morning, that we would humble ourselves and we would say, God, change my appetite. Father, help me to, to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. Right now, God, I have no self-control. I believe that if you're fasting with us, that God will begin to change that, that you would walk in self-control. Well, I can't change that. Hey, all you do is use the tools that God gives you and you allow God to move that. We were talking about that all this morning, breaking those shackles. You can't remove those chains from your own arms. You know, I really, really had a picture this morning of, you know, when you're trying to, you know, I'm talking about the old way of breaking the chains off, you know, where they have to hit them or they have to pry them, then there's a way. 
If they're not exposed and they're out of way and you're trying to, there's, there's no way to remove those chains unless you expose them. So if you're keeping them hidden, hey, can you please help me remove these chains? I can't even see, how am I gonna help you? So to some degree, we have to be transparent and say, God, here I am. You see what binds me, God. You see the areas in my life that I can't change. You see the chains that, that, that I was born into. But you are the victor of death, hell, and the grave. So therefore, you have the tool to remove all of those if we allow them. And if we let them. But I'm telling you, as long as you hide those things, it says those things that are exposed to the light can no longer be held in darkness. And then when light exposes those things, they are removed. But if they remain in the dark, man, it's really hard to get rid of those things. Those secret things that you don't tell anybody about. They're really, really hard to get rid of. But once they are exposed to the light, they no longer can bind you. So do we truly hunger and thirst for the things of God? You know, this week, as much as I desired for the forbidden foods, you know, this week, do I desire God like that? The stuff I can't have, you know, the things that are like, oh man, I really, am I desiring God like that? Or see the things that I'm loathing that I'm eating. You know, there's just some foods that are just, man, I cannot dig celery. I mean, I can dip so much peanut butter on it. It's like, it's great. And then the peanut butter taste goes away and I taste the celery. And I was like, nope, it's still as bad as without it. There's some rough stuff out there, right? You know, think of the worst thing. Brussels sprouts are pretty, pretty tough. Asparagus, there's, you know, these, all these greeny stuff, right? You know, there's these things that we loathe eating, but yet the health benefits are so rewarding. So there's these things that are spiritual that at face value may not look like much, but they'll radically change your health condition of your spirit. But I also believe that there's, your appetite can change. You know, that's, me and Gilbert were talking about it. I said, dude, you think we could live like this? Like, like we're kind of getting a little satisfied. And I was like, I could, but I need a little chicken and a little meat and a little cheese in my life. <laughs> you know, the, the little, but in moderation, I said, man, but you know, this is, it's not as bad as I thought. Like at first I was like, I'm going to die. And, my wife, and if, the, if the fast doesn't kill me, well, my wife's going to kill me for making her go through it, right? You know, we really have to get to that place of where do we really desire God like those, even if we think those things are not that appealing to me, but they're kingdom rewarding to you. There's spiritual value in when you do those things. Nobody said, I'm going to fast and it's going to be great and I'm going to love it and we're going to be so excited, you did, tell me your secrets, right? But the spiritual reward, God promises to reward those who diligently seek him. John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I kind of laughed. I could not get away from all the hunger and thirst scriptures, right? You know, this passage, it calls is a call of God for those who are hungry and thirsty. You know, God offers us something this morning to satisfy. But we can fight in the flesh and we can try to just ignore our hunger spiritually and we'll starve to death. 
We'll never live to our God-given potential. We'll never live the healthy life that God has called us to unless we feed on those things that are spiritual. Those who do not know Christ or don't have a relationship with the Father will never be satisfied and will continually hunger. You have to understand that the flesh is never satisfied. But Jesus is saying here that I will change something within you where you will become satisfied. You see this in the world all of the time. Man, guys chasing money or the next best thing. And even people with a lot of stuff, they are never satisfied. And really, the only thing they were missing was a relationship with Christ. But we try to cover up what is missing. You know, the song that talks about, you know, we got a God-shaped hole right inside of us. And there's nothing that can fill that void except God himself. We have to allow God to fill us and allow God to come in. There's nothing else that will satisfy. John 7, 37, it says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So this is something that's birthed within you, and the streams of living water actually flow out of you so that others could drink. It's not something that is just for yourself. It says that rivers of living water will flow out. So God fills us up. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us this refreshing renewal, and that life-giving water will nourish others if we allow it to come out, if we allow it. We don't want to dam it up. We don't want to just close it off and say, oh, this is for me. It's so good, because we'll miss the whole point of what it was for. The, thing, the great gifts that God gives us, it wasn't, it's just not for ourselves. It's always to give for, to others. Jesus didn't come out of selfishness. He came out of love for the world. And then God asked us to do the same thing as I give to you, that you would also give to others. As I provide for you, that you'd also provide for others. It completely changes who we once were. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we all know it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, we can get in a really bad spot when we try to reflect on the old and what we thought we used to have or the things that we kind of enjoyed. And we entice and we, and we kind of entertain the thoughts of, oh, well, man, you know, guys, I guess because I've lived it. Sin is only enjoyable for a season. And if you stick with it long enough, it'll kill you. Because the enemy's a slick sucker, man. He's not just like, oh, why don't you just do this huge blatant sin? And you're like, okay. You know, like he's strategic in what he does. But sometimes his persistence and our lack of self-control causes us to falter and fail and sometimes return to who we once were rather than who God has called us to be now. You have to understand when that old man dies, the new one comes forth and you are nothing like you used to be. Quit entertaining those things that you once loved as a sinner and begin to put on the new things that God has called you to as a saint. Thank you, God. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your, what? Souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, I, I was just floored by all of these scriptures that talk about the soul, the soul, the soul. Why does the soul matter so much? Because that is the only thing that can become more Christ-like. And it's tied to our mind, will, and emotions. So if the soul changes, our whole life changes. The Spirit of God inside of us already is Christ-like. But when that soul agrees with the Spirit, oh man. Amazing what can happen in your life. When we choose to come to God, He will show us how to rest within our souls. I think sometimes within our souls comes that uneasiness or that desire to succeed or that desire to be something or to be something great. Or, you know, when somebody asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? And you're like, you feel like obligated. I got to give a good answer. I don't do nothing. I don't even have a job. I don't have, you know, like think of the worst case scenario. Like I'm a bum for life. Nobody wants you. Like you want to have some type of credentials, right? But can you, can you understand that God has called you to rest within your soul? And even if you did nothing in this lifetime, that God would love you. Now, He causes us to grow, and He wants us to grow, and He wants us to accomplish great things. That's no excuse to be a bum, just in case somebody heard that wrong, right? It's like, man, I want that, right? But it it, it comes to that place of saying, God, give me rest while I work. Because if not, what? We're going to grow weary, Allow my burden to be light rather than heavy. And how do we accomplish that? Only if God carries it. When he stretched his arms left to right on that cross, he said, listen, guys, I got this. There's nothing that you're going to need to do except from receiving what I have for you. That's all I demand. And then rapid, immediate obedience. That's what God wants. You're like, that's it? Yeah, but it'll cost you your life. You don't realize what it really demands, those simple phrases but it'll always be worth it. So we find rest in his presence. We find victory in his arms, love in his embrace, comfort in his voice, and confidence in the cross. You guys hear that? One more time, just in case you missed it and you're dozing off on me. We find rest in his presence, victory in his arms, love in his embrace, comfort in his voice, and confidence in the cross. It's not confidence in, man, no, he was good this week. Man, I I didn't cheat on my fast at all. Man, I'm pretty good. It's no confidence in me. It's confidence in the cross and what the cross has accomplished within my life. We should continue to be living in the presence of God on a regular basis. Psalm 1611, it says, you have made known the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalms 139, verse 7, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So the the reality is that if we are a follower of Christ, we have the spirit within us. So we are never forsaken, we're never abandoned, but his spirit is, is as close as our next heart beat. So what does that, where, where does that leave us? That really leaves us without excuse. You're like, well, man, when I'm tempted with this or when I'm dealing with this, well, there's nobody around, man. You know, I'm influenced by everybody around me. Well, God's right there with you. He's living right on the inside of you. But on those moments, what do we do? Push them down or push them out. 
because we want to choose to be like the old man rather than allowing the Spirit of God to dictate what we do and don't do. Our desperate cry needs to be every time we're put in that position, God, give me grace. The Spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. We've established that, God. Now release that grace. Right? Has anybody fasted this week and it's been easy? Stephen, I thought you were raising your hand. I was about to say, brother, come here. We're going to talk, man. (laughs) We got one that it was easy. God's applying supernatural grace in her life, I believe. Right? But we just got to release God to be God. Let's look at Isaiah 55 in closing. I'm going to look at this in the uh, New Living Translation. Breaks it down just a little clearer. Look at verses 1 through 3, and then we'll look at 6 through 9. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1, it says, If anyone is thirsty, come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, I will tell you where to get food that is good for your soul. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. Do you hear that right there? Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I am ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the mercies and unfailing love that I promised to David. Let's drop down to verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord... uh, while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Verse eight, it says, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God is asking us to tap into something that's way bigger than us. Mind-boggling even. Bigger than our minds can understand. But God will give us the grace and the ability to accomplish great things in this lifetime if we willingly submit. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.